proclaim the truth of the risen Christ, but that same freedom is not enjoyed all around the world. There are those who hate Jesus. And just this morning, there were two churches in Sri Lanka who were bombed. Over 200 Christians worshiping on Easter Sunday were killed. Uh, Body of Christ suffers around the world. So as we enjoy a wonderful day today, we don't need to take away from that and feel guilty for that. But yet God wants us to stand with our brothers and sisters around the world. So before we begin today, let's bow in prayer for them. Oh, Father in heaven, we live in such a hard, harsh world. And Lord, there are enemies of the cross who seek to do destruction, who are shaking an angry fist at Jesus, who think they're doing you a favor by killing your followers. Oh God, first of all, we pray that you would break through the darkness that holds them in their grip. And then, Lord, I pray that you would give those who are sorrowing today over the loss of loved ones the grace to follow after Jesus, who said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. And then, Lord, I pray that you would help us to embrace a proper sense of your justice, being comforted in the fact that you are a just God. And the word says that you will right every wrong. And Lord, we look forward to that day when you will be honored and glorified as the right, righteous, just king of the universe. So, God, we intercede for our brothers and sisters around the world today and pray, Lord, that you would give all of us the grace that we need to be able to proclaim that even in the world there is tribulation and trial, but to take heart that you have overcome the world. May our feet be firmly planted in the land where we are true citizens, And until that day comes when we place our hand in the hand of Jesus and he pulls us into your presence, help us to be a voice of testimony, offering the grace of the love of God, which you so deliberately offered to us in the cross of Christ. Now, Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and our eyes today as we hear a testimony of one who was a witness of the cross. And I pray, Lord, that you would use that testimony to draw us either to faith in Christ or to a deeper walk with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, Easter is a day that we celebrate new life. Um, That's what eggs are all about. (laughs) Easter eggs. Talk about new life. But we really mean spiritual life. As we talk about Easter Sunday morning, it's, it's new life that brings light to the soul of one who knew only spiritual darkness. And that's the darkness of unbelief, the darkness of skepticism, the darkness of spiritual apathy, 
It's a darkness that grips us and keeps us from what God wants for us to enjoy. Easter is a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus, and those who place their faith and trust in him experience the grand deliverance from that darkness. We who are raised from death to newness of life, who experience new spiritual life from the inside, are transformed. And our hearts that used to be hard are now hearts that respond to God. So this morning I'm going to tell a story of a man whose heart was hard and whose soul was trapped in darkness. And how an encounter with Jesus changed everything. How the reality of Jesus' resurrection gave him a window into this new life that we enjoy as Christians. And I'd like to suggest to you to think about this one phrase, the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. And so today we will study the life and the experience of the Roman centurion who was in charge of the crucifixion of Jesus. Roman centurions are mentioned several times in the New Testament. But we really have a hard time understanding exactly the significance of a Roman centurion. This is primarily because there is really no equivalent in the modern military to a Roman centurion. It's not a rank. Rather, it's a class within the military structure of Rome. If we had to put a label on a Roman centurion, we might suggest a one-star brigadier general. A Roman soldier did not become a centurion overnight. It took years. Scholars tell us it took 16 years of dedicated service to be promoted to centurion. He had to be promoted from within the ranks, never being appointed by going to an officer training school. The Roman soldiers of the New Testament, we know, were very brutal. We know at the time of the birth of Jesus that Roman soldiers mercilessly went into Bethlehem and the surrounding regions and slaughtered hundreds of babies in an attempt to um, kill the Messiah. Incidences of dealing with disturbances happened when Roman soldiers killed worshippers and mingled their blood among the blood of the sacrifices. So to be a commander, centurions had to command the respect even fear of soldiers under him, so they had to be the hardest of the hard, the fiercest of the fierce. And of course, a regular duty was to carry out the crucifixion of those who were convicted of rebellion and insurrection against Rome, often in the midst of great public outcry. So our story this morning finds a centurion commander in charge of the volatile and chaotic crucifixion of Jesus. And so we pick up the narrative as Jesus stumbled to the place of his death. It was a stress-filled procession from Jerusalem to a hill called Golgotha. There was shouting, crying, jeering. There was shoving and whipping and people throwing things. When they finally arrived, he was angry. He was frustrated, exhausted. 
He coldly watched as the soldiers under his command pounded the spikes through the hands and feet of his prisoner. And then, as if to add his own stamp of authority on the entire spectacle, the Roman centurion himself leaned a ladder against the cross of Jesus, climbed to the top rung, and nailed a sign above his head. By order of Pilate, it said, Jesus the Nazarene, King of the Jews. And then it happened. When the hammer struck its final blow, quite unintentionally, at least on his part, their eyes met. This hardened soldier had been in charge of dozens of crucifixions. But a window into the soul of this man ignited a spark in his own. As he descended down the ladder, he leaned against the cross. A strange curiosity overcame him, and he became became attentive to the surroundings. For the first time, he listened to the crowds as they mocked and cursed Jesus. He saved others. Let him save himself, they cried. Let him come down from the cross. Then we'll believe he is the Son of God. And the centurion then began to think, Son of God? Is that who he says he is? Surely he's deluded, a lunatic. Or else he's just a revolutionary seeking to manipulate politics with religion. And so from time to time throughout the rest of the day, his victim looked straight at the oppressor with an expression that became etched in this centurion's memory. And there was a spark within his soul that was ignited. From the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And as he listened, the centurion said, What? Father? Who calls God Father? Forgive them? Whoever heard of such a thing? We're supposed to hate our enemies and conquer our enemies. <laughs> this man, he must be from another world. But for the first time in his life, there was a warmth in his heart. And then two thieves on either side of Jesus began to argue with one another. And finally one of them called out, If you're the Messiah, save yourself and save us too. And the centurion thought, Ah, Messiah, now I get it. You see, Roman soldiers were trained to deal with self-proclaimed messiahs. So he thought within himself, such nonsense. This has to be just a charade for this guy. He just wants to gain a following. But then he began to think. No one continues a charade when there's no hope that he would succeed. You know, he could save himself by just admitting that he made it all up. But now... Jesus is dying. His quest is over. Why does he continue to play this game? But it wasn't a game. And what he heard next sent a chill down this seasoned, hardened soldier's spine. One of the thieves said, Jesus, 
Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And from the cross, Jesus responded, Today, you will be with me in paradise. The centurion thought, paradise? He believes in life after death? He believes that there is some perfect existence? But even if there is paradise, he thought, how can he know that he will go there? And how can he promise that this thief can go there too? Maybe this guy really is from another world. So the warmth in his heart grew warmer. From about noon to three o'clock, there was a darkness that covered the earth. The spectators could feel an eerie calm, and they interrupted their conversations and lifted an apprehensive gaze toward the sky. And then shattering the silence with a loud voice, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the centurion thought, This is definitely the cry of one who knows God personally. And who was struggling with the terms of their relationship. But how can a man actually commune with God? Could it be... No, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. Soldiers don't have faith. Well, now his insides began to ache. And in spite of his efforts to control himself, he was being drawn into an internal struggle in his own soul. He continued to watch with piqued interest. And he witnessed a remarkable dialogue. Speaking to a woman who was standing next to a young man, Jesus said, Woman, behold your son. And then to the young man, he said, Behold your mother. And this this poor woman was totally broken. Obviously, she was his mother, and the young man was a devoted friend. And then the centurion heard, heard Jesus say, I thirst. He was brought back to rational reality. Jesus was a suffering man. But rationality cannot ignore mystery. Even though this whole affair made no sense to him, there was simply deeply profound in it all. And minutes turned into hours, and his mind rehearsed the events of the day. And he thought to himself over and over again, he said he was God, God was his father. Yet he had a human mother and human needs. How could a human son have God as his father, he thought. Here was hopelessly hanging on a cross, a crucified criminal, yet a divine strength surrounds him. The hardened soldier found himself being drawn closer to faith. And he was now more than intrigued by Jesus. There was, there was something supernaturally happening. As he fixed his eyes on Jesus, he watched him fight for more than his own life. 
his body was bearing infinitely more than the pain of the physical brutality of crucifixion. There was, there was a spiritual war raging right before his eyes. And then Jesus' body relaxed. And an expression of satisfaction emerged on his face. How could a victim of crucifixion, a conquered criminal, act like he was the conqueror? (laughs) The soldier was about to burst. And then Jesus said, It is finished. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. And then it all came together. As Jesus spoke these words, he was amazed. He watched Jesus demonstrate to the world that he was in complete control. And then he lifted his eyes to heaven and breathed his last. This was no common criminal. This was no ordinary man. And the spark within the centurion became a burning flame within. And he could not help but declare, also all could hear, Surely this is the Son of God. But the witness of his inner spirit could not change the reality of the afternoon. An innocent man was put to death and he supervised it all. This was wrong. So wrong. And he began to think within himself. I know it was only a few hours, but this presence of Jesus was like a sunbeam. And now I can see my own soul, and I don't like what I see. It's black and unsettled. And this Nazarene has opened up a whole new realm for me, one that I never knew was there. So the centurion stood by as a man emerged from the crowd with a document signed by the governor, giving him permission to remove Jesus from the cross. As he watched this, Joseph carefully wrapped the mangled body of Jesus in a clean cloth and carefully carried it to his own grave. The veteran Roman soldier wondered, This man knows Jesus and he's at peace. (laughs) I'm in turmoil. What does he know that I don't know? Just then, one of his soldiers approached him with a summons to appear before Pontius Pilate. He was to go at once to the governor's chambers and receive new orders regarding Jesus of Nazareth. And with new anticipation, the centurion made the short journey back to Jerusalem. He thought to himself, perhaps there's more to this affair. Perhaps there's something new. There has to be more. This is the Son of God. There has to be more. So when he arrived at the governor's quarters, he met a group of officials from the Jewish council just as they were leaving. And when their eyes met, their comment caused a chill to come over him. See you at the grave of the Nazarene, they said. So the puzzled centurion entered the chambers of his commander who told him a story that was unlike anything he'd ever heard. 
it seems like Jesus was a traveling rabbi and that he frequently taught his disciples that he would be arrested by the Jews, put to death by the Romans, and on the third day he would be raised from the dead. Of course, neither the Jews nor the Romans could ever believe such a fable, but in order to ensure that his closest followers would not rob the grave and and then spread this spectacular story to get the people all worked up again, he was commissioned to guard the grave and make sure it stayed secure for three days. I knew it. I knew it. I knew there was more to Jesus, he said. But could it really happen? No one dies by crucifixion and comes to life again. But this is no ordinary man. And if it turns out that his grave really is empty after three days, nobody's going to say that these weak-kneed disciples stole it away from my company. (laughs) If it's empty, I'll tell of the resurrection myself. And so the centurion assembled his men, and when they asked him about their mission, everyone laughed. (laughs) The thought of Jesus' followers attempting to rob the grave. Over our dead bodies, they said. (laughs) So they settled in for their three-day watch with determination and careful attention to every detail, right down to placing the seal of the governor on the stone that covered the opening of the tomb. But the soldiers became curious when the centurion himself took both the morning watches on the third day. It was as if he expected something to happen, but he didn't want to miss. Very early in the morning on the third day, the surroundings of the tomb became extraordinarily quiet and still. The sounds of the night were drowned out by the silence in the air, and just as the centurion turned to gaze at the tomb... He was a flash from heaven filled the sky, and there appeared an angel of the Lord who rolled the stone away and sat on top of the stone and looked intently right at the centurion. The soldiers were astonished, became so filled with fear that they became like dead men. And when they finally regained their senses, they looked into the tomb. It was empty. The centurion said, Jesus isn't here. He's risen from the dead. There's no explanation other than that. I saw it myself. This changes everything. So let's remove ourselves from the story of the centurion and think about what happened next. In Matthew 28, 11-15, Matthew records how some of the guards who were there and saw it all went into the city and responded to the chief priests and told them everything that had happened. So the Jewish leaders devised a plan. And here's what it is. Say that during the night while you were asleep, some of the disciples came and stole the body of Jesus. And if this gets out to the governor, we'll take care of him and keep you out of trouble. So in order to get these soldiers to agree, they gave them a large sum of money. And that was that. 
or was it? You see, here we have two stories of how soldiers of the greatest fighting machine of the ancient world responded to Jesus. One group of soldiers who saw it all happened, they knew it was true, they still maintained the status quo. They looked out for their own self-interest. And they decided to ignore Jesus and go on with life as though nothing happened. Not much different from many of us in our day, is it? We hear of Jesus. We're confronted with the empty tomb. We know he rose from the dead. But yet we walk away. Then there's the soldier who spoke so that all could hear. Surely, this is the Son of God. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. And over 2,000 years later, his testimony becomes an invitation for you and for me. And that invitation is summarized in John chapter 1 verses 19 to 23. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who receive him, to those who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Perhaps you're here today. And up until now, you've walked away from Jesus. Perhaps... Up until now, you've decided, I'm just going to go on and keep the status quo. But now you've reconsidered and you think the testimony of this hardened soldier, if God can soften him, if God can forgive him, perhaps he can forgive me. And if that's you today, I simply invite you to follow the invitation in John's Gospel. Shall we bow in prayer together? Father in heaven, your word reminds us that Jesus came and many turned away. But there are those who believe in him, who receive him, and then become born of God. And I pray that if you're tugging at the heart of someone here this morning, and they're saying, it's time for me to receive Jesus. It's time for me to believe. It's time for me to place my faith and trust in Christ. Oh God, open their heart. 
shine the light of your love in their soul and give them the new birth. And if that's you today, it's just simply pray, Lord Jesus, I thank you that even though, even though I'm a sinful person, you died for me and rose from the dead to conquer that sin. And so I receive your forgiveness today. I place my faith in the resurrection and know now that you live and want to live within me. So come into my life and live within me. I don't know how to do it, but I want to start right now and tell you that I want to live for you and put you first in my life. And if that's you today, have the assurance that Jesus will change everything. Maybe not according to the standards of this world, but he will change your life. He will give you new eyes to see him at work. And you can have the assurance that when that day comes for you to walk through the door of death, you will wake up in the arms of God. That's the assurance of the resurrection. Father, bless and nurture us and keep us in your care. And remind us of your love that you've given to us in the risen Christ. In his name we pray.